0: We're continuing on, like you can see in our in our book um or our sermon series going through the book of Ecclesiastes. We started this last week. So last week was the first sermon, and it served as a bit of an introduction, and then we moved into some of the text. And it's really important um, that I think you you either you for sure go back and read this if you haven't read it yet, those first eleven verses. But if you have time to go back and listen to the sermon, if you did not hear it last week, it would be kind of important for you to kind of tie it in um, to the rest of um, kind of what we're, because everything kind of builds on what um, Solomon introduced to us last week. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump in. Father, I, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that you've revealed yourself to us in your word, but through your spirit, and we don't have to come into this place and try to figure out something to say or being overly creative. We can trust that we can start with your word and your, your revelation of yourself to us, and we can build on that, and we're so thankful for that. We, we're so thankful that that gives us confidence in this room, when we open your word, and we sing your songs, and we pray the prayers that they are centered on your word, and that is your revelation to us, your revealing yourself to us. And we're thankful for that. And I pray this morning as we look at your word that you would change us. You would change our minds and our hearts and change the way we live when we leave this place. And above all, I pray that your son would be lifted up and you would be glorified and your spirit would move. We love you and we love your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Alexander de Tocqueville was a French politician and he was traveling to... America in 1831 almost 200 years ago and while he was in America he kind of was writing a book working on a book and he says said about the western world this at the time including America he said there is a strange melancholy that haunts the inhabitants in the midst of abundance the incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy the human heart and it seems like nothing has changed In the last 200 years or so, right? If we look around. God has given us such a great abundance of of things, of gifts that we have all around us. Yet, we we find it so difficult to be satisfied. So difficult. A great example of this is, is NFL superstar Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady. By the age of 30, he had three Super Bowl rings. Um, at the time, ranking him as one of the best quarterbacks of all time, and he's now considered our, probably the greatest quarterback of all time. He had a multi-million dollar contract, numerous endorsements, good looks, supermodel wife, a franchise built around him, and despite all those accomplishments, he said something in an er- interview with 60 Minutes in 2005. So this is when he was 30. He says this: Brady says, "Why, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there is something greater out there for me? I mean." Maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be something more than this. I mean, this isn't. This this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Kind of saying it to the interviewer. The interviewer says, what's the answer then? And Brady, with a pause, says, I wish I knew. And it's safe to say this guy, above all other guys, had more than you or I do. In a worldly sense, hundreds of thousands of people wanting to be like him, wearing his jersey. Every Sunday, 80,000 people filling a stadium with him as a focal point, basically worshiping him and watching him play, and then having a statue built from him outside the stadium. And what does he say? With all of this stuff, this can't be it. Really? Can't, can't, like, is this it? That's, just, in a sense, what Brady's saying. And last week in this book, in the first chapter, we saw that at the core of our human condition is our inability to accept things as they really are. And it frustrates us, it angers us. And in that frustration, we numb ourselves, we distract ourselves, we fall into just a pit of despair, throwing our hands up, saying, Well, then this isn't worth it then. Like, well, I mean, whatever, kind of a nihilistic way of looking at the world. We looked at those three things last week, ways to respond, ways we respond in this frustration. And King Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes, wants to take us on a journey through this quest he is on um, to, to try to figure life out. He's trying to figure it out. He has the means to do it. He's on this quest. He wants to bring us along. And he, begins last, he began last week with shocking us in chapter 1. Basically just saying life is meaningless. Like life is short, you're going to die, no one's going to remember you, and you can't do anything about it, good luck with that, right? That was basically the message from last week, right? Like a very chipper one. That's the way he, st- he wants to shock us, and he, he did that. And he tells us that life is like a vapor, meaning it's short. It's here today and gone tomorrow, and we can't do anything about it. It's like a, a, a puff of smoke when you blow out a candle. You can see it, you can smell it, you try to g- grab a hold of it and it's just gonna slide through your hands. There's gonna be nothing in your hands, as you know, if you grab that smoke. Trying to hold on to it is futile. In the passage we're looking at today, Solomon is gonna create a real life experiment, right? So he kind of determined what it is and now he's thinking back to, wait, this is how I went about figuring this stuff out. And he's gonna tell us, Right? He created a real-life experiment to see if life is really meaningless, if it's really like a vapor. And he's going, he's going to focus on what may, might be the two most common things or areas that we look to for meaning. First is the, the acquisition of knowledge, like knowing more. And then second, pleasure. Knowing more and pleasure. And again, if there was ever a guy who could do this, this is the guy. Solomon is him, right? If we think think Brady had a lot, this guy had more. Solomon had way more than Brady did, more than Jeff Bezos, Taylor Swift, um, Elon Musk, Joe Biden, the powerful politicians of the world. This guy had more. This would have been like a guy that we would have followed around with paparazzi and magazines and lived vicariously through like we so often do with celebrities and hanging on their every move. He had the intellect of a a tech entrepreneur, and he had the charisma of an A-list Hollywood star. Like, this guy had it all. And he's going to do an experiment, and he's going to pull us into this experiment to see how life plays out. So let's see how it plays out. First, he's going to look at knowledge. So verse 12, chapter 1. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Big, big role. Big role. And I applied my heart. I set my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that there is done under heaven. Like I'm going to figure it all out. It is an it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man or humans to be busy with. Like this is this is a difficult thing, right? This is an unhappy business. I've seen verse 14. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. This is the refrain that Solomon's going to use throughout the book. Striving after the wind, all is vanity, no, no, nothing, everything done under the sun. So all the things that he's checked out is vanity. It's a striving after the wind. It's, it's futile. And this is a sincere pursuit. Again, this is a, an experiment that he set up, and he finds that pursuing pure human wisdom or knowledge doesn't lead to more satisfaction or fulfillment. It doesn't. Like we, and we know this. Like Even geniuses, those with the highest IQ, the highest amounts of knowledge, aren't any, le- aren't any more satisfied than, a, than another person who doesn't have that IQ. They're not any, le- any more moral or any more likely to not sin than someone who doesn't have that high of an IQ. But Solomon wants to figure it out for himself because he, is, he was, at the time, arguably the, the, the wisest man in the world, the scriptures tell us in other parts. And this has led Solomon to a negative view of the world and the world's wisdom, right? And we can feel that in the tone he uses early in this passage. He says in verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. And, and, and we've all done this, right? We, we see a problem and we, we see something that should be very straightforward, right? It's like, I should be able to solve this problem. I should be able to think through this. And we get frustrated when our, when our solution to that problem It isn't heard. doesn't work. We don't have the power to implement it. Whatever it is, we we get frustrated because we don't have the knowledge. We don't have the ability to solve the world's problems. Crooked things cannot be made straight. Verse 16. He says, I said in my heart. Again, it's in his heart. It's deep. I have acquired great wisdom. Like I have it. Surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. I'm the greatest king knowledge-wise, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also but a striving after the wind. In verse 18, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. It's interesting in verse 17, you'll see that it says, he, and I applied my heart to know wisdom, and we've seen that. And then he says, and to know madness and folly. So he's looking at the two extremes. Like, I've I've pursued wisdom, like great, worldly, secular wisdom, like the wisdom of the world. I pursued, But then I've also, because I didn't feel like that was working, I moved over and tried uh, folly. He says madness. Like, he almost went to the other side. He's like, if this doesn't work, I'm just going to pursue foolishness. That that seems to be what he's saying here. And uh, by the way, that didn't work either. He said that was also chasing after the wind. So he wanted to kind of run the gamut of this kind of spectrum of knowledge. Then in verse 18, he uses this word vexation. I, I, I love that word. And, and, and what he's saying is there is it's just, it's, it's frustrating. Like the pursuit of knowledge and education and wisdom will not bring ultimate pleasure and satisfaction. We're vexed by it. This, is, this will leave us lacking the answers to the deep why questions we should be asking. Right? If, we, if we just pursue kind of human knowledge, it's not going to go deep enough to help us understand what we were made for. Why, why is there pain in the world? Why is there so much good in the world? These things are difficult to grasp with just human knowledge. And, and he, he, here's an example, right? We live in the most educated city in all of Oklahoma. Right? You can look at the stats, that's, that's true, and about a mile south from here, we have the highest concentration, an extremely high concentration of educated people, just a mile south of here. And yet, national studies show one in three college students suffer from significant anxiety or depression, mental health. And that's just those who've been diagnosed or actually have offered up that knowledge in, in surveys. It's, it's, it's rough, and it's not getting better. And if you talk to faculty and campus leaders at OU, they will tell you that it's at least that high and probably higher. It's a problem on the college campuses all over the country, and we're not any different. And again, there's nothing wrong with the pursuit of knowledge or wisdom. Right? The church and its history has had a long like a great history of, of, of wanting its, its leaders and, and members to go after the wisdom of the world. Be educated, learn. There's a lot of common grace in the knowledge that the world offers us. However, if, that, if you're pursuing that alone, which is what Solomon did here in this experiment, he pursued knowledge and wisdom alone, uh, it, will not, it will not give you the ultimate pleasure we are seeking. It will not. And, and, we, and we see that in these numbers, Right? Like we see that in the numbers that we have, this, the, the mental health numbers, right? We wouldn't see that in, on the college campus in a, in a high concentration of people who are really, really smart in pursuing education, all right? And then verse 18, like I said, it, it seems like he's saying that the, the, more, you, the more you understand, like the, and we, you kind of get this as you get older, right? The more you know, the more you see about the world, and the more frustrated you get. Like, we're kind of ignorant in some areas, but the more you understand and the wiser you grow, you start to see, oh, this is dark. Like, there's some rough spots. And so that's what he's saying. Even it almost works against itself, this area of knowledge or wisdom. And notice here, we're at the end of chapter 1, and he hasn't even addressed God. He hasn't brought God into this experiment yet. This is just a pure um, human wisdom and knowledge pursuit. Now, we're going to verse 1, chapter 2. Now he switches over to the second thing, pleasure, another experiment. He's going to test the meaning of life in the area of pleasure. And this experiment he sets up, sets up think of like a market in a country you've traveled to overseas or a city you haven't been to before. It's a street market. There's a lot of like, things you want to check out there because they're a little different. And you go in and out of booths or kiosks and each thing has a different theme, or, or just take the mall, right? If you can find one that's still open, right? Like, like, go into the stores, and each store has kind of a different theme or something you can buy to consume. Same, th- same idea here. He's got this, a lot of choices of pleasure, and he's going to weave in and out of these storefronts, and he's going to take us with him. Verse 1, and I said to my heart, again, he's talking deep to himself, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. Here we go. But behold, this was also vanity. He gives us the answer up front, but he goes on. Verse 2, I said of laughter, here's laughter, it is mad and of pleasure, what use is it? So the first thing he says is laughter, right? And we know this. Like laughter is a good thing. Laughter is a thing that God gives us, but it can be vulgar. It can be used in a very mean, evil, and harmful way to tear others down and build the person being funny up. It can, it can definitely be used like that. Uh, but it can also be one of the best things for us um, in the medical field tells us to laugh, to smile. And this, remember, Solomon had the ability to bring in Jim Gaffigan, Nate Bargotzi, whoever your person is, your stand-up comedy, and have a private show in his home. Like, he didn't have to check out the Netflix special or go see it with a bunch of strangers, right? Like, he brought, he could bring the funniest people into his home, and he's like, yeah, I'm not getting it there. Verse 3, I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Here he goes with alcohol. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom. So again, he, he's still completely aware of what he's doing here. He's, my heart's guiding with me wisdom and how to lay hold of, on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under the heaven during the few days of their life. So once again, this is a measured pursuit of pursuing alcohol. And it seems like here he, he's, got his, he's got his mind with him still. So I'm sure Solomon, knowing who he was, he probably went out and had some weekend bingers and just got drunk. But I think he also pursued, kind of probably in his king world of his, some, some high, higher class wine tasting, some, some appreciation of higher liquors on the other extreme. Right? And he found that both didn't give him what he wanted. Whether he like, he, he, he kind of focused on alcohol over here, focused on alcohol on here, it didn't matter. Alcohol was not the answer, right? And alcohol, in and of itself, once again, kind of like laughter, is not bad, right? Knowing that it comes from God, I personally believe that there's space to enjoy it in the context of, of friends and, and a way to honor God with those two things. But obviously, there's wisdom that must be brought to this. It can be addictive, and there's lots of people all over the place that struggle having a past with alcohol, and we need to be smart and wise about that. Um, but again, it's a gift that God gives us, but it can be used to, in, a, in a very, very dark ways. And so Solomon tries. He says, nope, not there. Verse 4, I made great works. So he built, he constructed things. He, he did some architecture here, gardening. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all, all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. This ain't a swimming pool you drop in your backyard, right? Like this pool is watering forests. Like these are pools of water, right? This has these echoes of the Garden of Eden. Like Solomon's like, okay, I have the means. What's the the most pure, perfect, pristine garden in the history of the world to him? It was the Garden of Eden. So I'm going to try to recreate the Garden of Eden. And that's basically what he tries to do, right? This isn't like me growing a few peppers on my back porch. Like this is massive, massive undertaking he has, right? I'm going to date myself here, but those of you who are my age, maybe a little bit younger, know the show NTV Cribs, right? Like they used to follow really famous people around, often musicians, and go into their house and just make you covet and jealous about what all these people had, right? Like this is similar to that, but just just exponentially more than those types. Verse 7. He keeps going. I bought male and female slaves. And I had slaves who were born in my house. And I also had great possessions of herds and flocks. Right? He's also a rancher. More than any who had before me in Jerusalem. I also had gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Had people waiting on him. He didn't have to hit play on Spotify. He owned Spotify. And he just brought them in. To, to, like he had them on rotation, bringing them in. right To come in to, to play music. Because he could. right? And we know from the scriptures, especially in the book of Kings, we know that this was a man who had um, many sexual conquests. So he looked to the kind of sexual conquests for pleasure as well. And all of these things. He had it all. And we can read about those things again in the Old Testament. Verse 9. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Okay, like I was it. Like I was the, the Tom Brady of living, right? Not just a football, of like life. I was a Tom Brady. And my, also, my wisdom remained with me. So I'm fully conscious, fully aware of this experiment I'm doing, says Solomon. Like I haven't gone crazy. Like I'm, I'm intentionally doing this. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I took it. I kept my heart with, from no pleasure, for my heart found Uh, My heart found pleasure in all my toil. Let me read that again to make sure we hear that. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and the striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Um, He still has his wisdom. But he actually, the, the, the pleasure, we get a little crack here in Solomon's kind of world. He said that the, if there was any pleasure to be had from anything, it actually came in the toil. And we, we know the old proverb um, that says it is the journey that's important and not the destination that matters. You've heard that probably said before. And we often don't realize that until we've gotten someplace. And then we say, well, oh, you look back and say, like, oh, it was actually the getting here that was more important or more pleasurable than actually arriving there, right? And so here's what we need to do now. We need to just stop, and we just need to see the reality of these pursuits. Because it's, it's brilliant that we have this, this man who could do all of these things that we're tempted with. And he could do them all in a set period of time as an experiment, and he has the means to do it. And he's reporting back his findings afterwards, and he says, it didn't work. It's still meaningless. It's all vanity. There's nothing new under the sun. None of this stuff works when you pursue him like he did. The acquisition of knowledge does not guarantee that we have a meaningful and fulfilled life. Trying to acquire enough knowledge to be able to solve all the world's problems that come our way is a miserable pursuit. I mentioned mental health earlier. and Let's talk about solutions, right? Like if we were just to say, let's let's pursue this with knowledge. Take medicine, for example. Smart researchers have come up with decent medications that may work for a while, for people that suffer from things like anxiety and depression, but, but in no way has the magic pill been found. No one has been smart enough to find the magic pill for mental health. Cutting edge research and medicine has never been stronger, yet the rate of people ending their life as a result of mental, mental illness has never been higher. Explain that, right? Like We have it all at our fingertips, technology, but it's not solving the problem. The problem's getting worse. I'm in favor of, obviously, medication, people using medication for a set, people, set period of time. Um, and I think medication is a part in the overall fight. Don't hear me say that. Medication is a good thing. But I think if we, like, just think we can think our way out of it or come up with enough answers, enough knowledge to solve all of the things, we're greatly mistaken. And the wisest man in the world, the Scripture will tell us here, has tried it. All right? Let's take... Um, Take pleasure, right? The second thing, Solomon has given us a good list. He's tried. Let's take substances like alcohol. It could be alcohol. It could be medication. It could be um, whatever it is to, to alter your mind. We know that they can begin to demand more from us. If we can become dependent on these types of things, um, they will eat us alive in dependence if we look to these things for everything. And so I think we just need to step back and, and think for a minute on all of these things. Like we got sexual conquest. we got laughter. we got entertainment. We've got building things. We've got possessions. We've got substance abuse. He's tried them all. And he says they don't work. And I think if we were being honest with ourselves, if we have a pastor, maybe we're, we're, we're stuck in one of those things now, we would say, yeah, it's not working. This, it, it, I keep having to do more. And then it stops working. I keep having to do more. Like we can't push our, all of our chips in. On these things and we need we need to listen to God's Word we need to listen to Solomon here as he tells us these things and we can identify with the human condition that something is broken and missing inside of us something is broken and missing in the world and this is what ultimately Solomon wants us to grab onto right here like something's broken inside of us something's missing and the world in and of itself will not give us what we are desiring it can't satisfy when they are an end in and of themselves the good news is Solomon doesn't always give us answers in this book. Right? It can be a depressing book. We talked about that last week because it's dealing in reality. Like this is how the world works. But today's a little bit different. He does give us some answers. And the answer is found down towards the end of chapter 2. Verse 24. There is nothing better for a person, so we need to listen to this, nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink Okay, that's good. Like those are normal things God gives us, just eat just food and drink, and find enjoyment in his toil. Right? So enjoy these things and find enjoyment in the toil. Find enjoyment in the life, in the life that we live, the reality of the hardness. Right? This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. So there's our answer. First off, we see he makes the turn to God. We he has not mentioned God yet. In this passage, he mentions God. And instead of striving after something else, it's almost like he has this posture of receiving. Like now, God comes in as the main character, and he's giving him something. He's giving him grace. This apart-from-him phrase is really, really important. We can't have lasting enjoyment in the gifts God has given us without God himself. Like, apart from God, we'll take his gifts, we'll try to use them for meaning and for fulfillment, pleasure, all of the things, and they will fail. Last week, we talked about having these, these, these lenses we put on to see the world as we should as followers of Jesus. And we should do that here, right? We should see the gifts that he's given us as gifts from him, that he wants, to, that he wants to, to, for us to use to enjoy him, not use for pleasure that falls back on ourselves, That's a selfish way to do these things. If we chase these things for ultimate happiness, it will fail. They will fail. They will eventually fail, and they will lead us to despair, the pit of despair. And we'll pick ourselves up and try one of those other things. We'll go into another store like Solomon did. And after a while, that thing is going to fail too. And the cycle will continue unless you put the lenses on and think, how can I glorify God? How can I honor God with the things he's given us? So pleasure's not the key. Pleasure is not a bad thing. Knowledge isn't a bad thing. It's the aim. It's the direction of those things. The, the telos, the, the, the aim that philosophers will talk about. The telos, the aim of these things. Blaise Pascal speaking about pleasure. I've quoted this before and I love this because this guy's a smart man. He says, all men seek happiness. There are no exceptions. This is the motive of every act of every man, including those who go and hang themselves. But well, Pascal is saying, in the moment, we are always choosing pleasure. Even the person that chooses to end their life, in that very moment, think, this is the, this is the way out for happiness. This is the way, This is the, 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 the doorway to happiness is, is this particular action. And also notice in this passage, how many times Solomon uses I, me, or myself. Like one of those forms of the first person pronoun. I think it's like over 40 times. This, this experiment is all about him. It's taking all the things that God has given him, and he's saying, I'm going to use it to maximize my pleasure. I'm going to use it to maximize who I am. He's not worried about God in this experiment, right? He's using him on himself. And he's saying in verse 25 that the key is to remain in him, stay connected to him, understanding we have an identity in Christ. And when we're given something, giving anything in this world, we can take that and use it for ourselves, on ourselves, for our selfish desires. Or we can turn back and use it in such a way that it's going to bring glory to God. And we have this dilemma when we're faced with the things God give us, right? And there's usually two camps, right? You have on one end, you kind of have the moralist. The moralist says, be careful about the world, be careful about the world's pleasures, right? Don't don't have too much pleasure because that's not good. Right? So what you end up is building these big walls around your life and trying to play protect protect yourself from all the bad things that life can bring in. But God actually gave us a lot of those things we're trying to protect ourselves from. And then on the other side, you have what I'll call the heedness It doesn't even really think about God. This is maybe God gave him to us or not, but I'm just going to use, I'm going to live it up. Life is short. We need to go after it. We need to go after pleasure, go after the stuff, and, you know, die happy. And so there's these, there's these two kind of pitfalls that we can, it's like a tension that we have to navigate. Take, take food, for example, or really any hobby. Let's just take food, Right. Most of us enjoy food, right? So on, on one side, you have the people, not necessarily for religious reasons, some though, but even you have the people who are like, you have to be really careful about what you eat, right? We've got to know where our food came from. You have to do this and do that and do that. And by the way, you like end up like making this tiny little plate and there's like three foods you can eat. And there's all these other foods that God made that that is supposed to hit our taste buds and we're supposed to enjoy. Then you, on the other side, you have the hedonistic view of food, right? It's like, go after it all. No restrictions, don't think about what it's doing to your body, don't think about anything else, or your health, anything, just go after it. What's ever in front of you, you consume it because it's going to taste good. Like, that's the hedonist food. So, even with food, something that we, we partake in all the time, we can use it for God. God, thank you for this food. I'm going to really enjoy the, the, how this food tastes. But I'm also going to think have, have, some, um, have some restraint, right? I'm going to think, how does this affect my body? Is this the best thing to do? Am I glorifying you by how I'm partaking of this food and what it's gonna do to me later? All of those things we can kind of take in when it comes to food. And you can kind of run anything that God has given us through that paradigm of like the moralist and the hedonist, right, hopefully that's a tool that we can use. But bottom line, God gives us everything we have on earth to enjoy him, period. Everything that is given to us on earth, we are to enjoy him, right? You know, all the things that Solomon went down, right? We can enjoy him with, right? All the things, places where Solomon went, we can enjoy him with those things. Gospel enjoyment leads us to find pleasure in God through the things he has given us. Now here's, how does the gospel play into it? God sent Jesus to save us and to satisfy us. Okay, remember this, forget the second one, to save us and to satisfy us. And here's the deal, Jesus, just looking at the life of Jesus, he didn't chase his own pleasure. He didn't chase his own pleasure. He chose to seek the Father's pleasure, even to the point of death. And we know this from Matthew 4. The devil takes him out into the wilderness shortly after Jesus was baptized. Baptized gives him three temptations. right? Three temptations that we are all tempted with. Power, approval, sustenance. These are things that are common to all humans. All the temptations are. And Jesus could take any of those things at any moment. The devil had the power to actually give Jesus those things. Those were real temptations. Jesus could have taken the things the devil promises, that Jesus gets to enjoy all the things the devil promises, then the devil gets to be the king because Jesus has given those things away for that short-term pleasure, right? That that was the game plan of the devil. But Jesus in that moment says, no, it's not why I've came. I'm not here for that. I've got one uh, motivation, one plan, and that's to the obedience of my father. That's what's so beautiful about Jesus. Any of us put in that situation would have failed. But Jesus succeeded. And he's the only, only human who's ever succeeded in obeying God's will perfectly. Taking every gift God gave Jesus, and Jesus um, used that gift perfectly in the way it was intended to be used. Right? He is like Solomon. He's, he's the better Solomon. He's the better king. Like Solomon's a sinner like you and I. He he didn't lead his people necessarily well. He failed in his ability to be a holy king for God's people. Jesus didn't fail. He's the better, the truer, the greater king. Jesus didn't give in when Solomon gave in. And this is why we can look to Jesus. We can trust Jesus. He's our savior, but he will also satisfy us in our pursuit of knowing God through the gifts he's given us. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21. Peter, I think, hits on it here in in his letter. He says this, knowing that you were ransomed or or kind of bought from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things as silver and gold, the things that Solomon dealt in, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was perfect again. 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that... Your faith and in your hope are in God, right? Jesus gives us the ability. He gives us the foundation to be able to, to not have to satisfy ourselves with anything the world gives us. We can be satisfied as in him first. That's our foundation. And then all the things God gives us for our enjoyment, we can enjoy those things in freedom because Jesus is our foundation and we won't have to abuse any of these things to get pleasure. We won't have to pursue knowledge for the sake of pursuing knowledge because we, have, we know God through Jesus, right? Like he's given, us, he's given us sexual ethics so we can follow the sexual ethics in the scriptures that he gives us. So we don't have to, to, to satisfy our sexual desires in all these other places. He's given us sexual ethics in the scriptures. He's given us ways to, 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 to love one another through humor and laughter in the scriptures. So we don't have to go to um, garbage laughter and garbage comedy to be able to satisfy. See, all of these things can be run through this... this, this, this um, this rubric of Jesus and to God and the gifts he's given us. One of the most powerful ways we can display our love for God in this world um, to others is to enjoy the things God has given us. We live in a world full of just consumerism and consumption and just let's go all out everywhere. And for us to be able to say yes to those things, but do it in a way where we turn back to God saying, I'm so thankful, God, that you gave me this great tasting food. I'm so thankful, God, that you gave me this job that I get to enjoy and be thankful for, but I don't, have, I don't have to bow down to the job. It doesn't have to use me and chew me up and spit me out, but I can enjoy the job because I've been given the job by God. See, all of the things that God gives us, we can enjoy him, and that's attractive. That's, it, it can be attractive to the world. It's unique. It's kind of weird. It's strange, but that's good. It's unique and weird in a way that's attractive, that can cause people to want to know more about our lives. One commentator said, the gifts of God don't make the meaninglessness go away. The gifts of God make this vanity more enjoyable. Speaking of Ecclesiastes, C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. So here's what I want you to do. One thing, one application point. This week, I want you to take one thing, one hobby, one thing you find pleasure in, and think, how can you use that to honor God and not yourself? simple right journal write it down think about it how can you use that thing to enjoy god and not just for yourself it may not it may just be a very innocent thing and, and this kind of forces us to ask the question what pleasures am i tempted to take for myself instead of seeking the pleasure for god this is i think part of discipleship part of growing up in our faith want us to imagine if we live like we were made for another world imagine if the pleasures of the world didn't have their claws in us Because Jesus' arms were around us. They couldn't get our claws in us because Jesus is there to protect us. Imagine the freedom and joy we would experience if we would take God's gifts and use them to find pleasure in Him rather than use His gifts for selfish pleasure. Maybe the people who say, like Tom Brady, I wish I knew, would know. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful once again for Your Word. I pray that we would be um, changed by your word, that we would leave this place with hope, that our hope is in you, and we have that hope, and it's in Jesus. And that frees us up to enjoy the things you give us, not to be joys and not enjoy things, and not to overconsume and just find pleasure for pleasure's sake. We can find pleasure in you and use your gifts to glorify you and to thank you for everything you've given us.